Welcome to Tove Mode. I'm Charlie. I'm Ryan. I'm Steve. You can call me out. Yeah, we can. <laughs> call yeah. me out. And you might have guessed we have a guest. Guess the guest is our friend and Dear amazing friend. mentor, Rabbi and Rabbit Rabbit. Allen. Rabbit Allen. Rabbit Allen. Yeah, you have a couple a couple names out there. A couple there. monikers are going uh-huh. on. Yeah. Yes. Some Who people... came up with Rabbit? Are you kidding? This guy I did. Can... Yeah. Mm. And, and who I thought it was most kids. affectionately knows him? Oh, yeah, my kids absolutely yeah, know I think Yeah, I think it was actually your kids. They correct me all the time. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Well, it, it's true. Cause it's it, rabbit. Yeah. Dad, it is a rabbit. rabbit. Yeah. So I mean, I been, said it in public at the, yeah. the, the thing we did. You do bear <laughs> a shocking resemblance to a bunny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a picture in the show notes. Yes. Picture <laughs> coming. Yeah. There it is. Oh. Well, All welcome. Right. Glad you're here. It's sweet to be here. Really um, sweet. We have, we have uh, just an exciting, I don't know, 45 minutes, hour ahead of us. Yeah. And we thought we'd talk a little bit about the name of our podcast since mm-hmm. this is episode dos. And of course, we didn't do it on episode one. So the <laughs> no, biggest question we that? we've gotten since that episode was, what's the deal with the name? Oh, what's up with your name? I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> There's a weird line over the O. What is that supposed what's, to mean? What's the line about? I don't even think that's proper phonetics. Well, the answer to that is that we tried really hard to figure out what the proper phonetics were, and eventually we gave up. Our giftings yeah. are in other areas. Yeah. Either way, so Tove Maod, or Tove Mode, as Andrew so beautifully coined it, uh, he just gives me a thumbs up. Um, yeah, Tove Maod. So... Uh, on the first days of creation, a lot of things were referenced as good or tov. And then when God made man, it was very good. And the word for that is tov ma'od. And when I said that, Andrew's like, oh yeah, tov mode. I was like, uh-huh, <laughs> tov mode, going into tov mode. Exactly. And I think tov ma'od is, is pretty interesting and we'll get more into what that is. But tov mode is like, I always thought of it like, um, like, you hear the term Marshawn Lynch beast mode, beast mode going going full beast mode, and Tove mode being sort of like the man he's going all good. <laughs> it's not really a very good sports metaphor, but uh, I suppose you could make it. It's one. more of a life metaphor. Yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if we were to start with the first word Tove, mm-hmm. um, where do we pick up this idea, this this arc of Tove? Where's, where do we see it first? Um, well, one of the first places is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. And I think it's probably an easier place to see it because you get to see it in relationship to the idea that it's in complementary juxtaposition to, which is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, it was so, is how the verse ends, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 12, and God saw that it was good. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, God speaks <clears throat> the seeds into the earth, and then it says, and it was so. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 12, it says, the earth brought forth the seeds that God put into it, and then those seeds themselves become living plants and or trees with seeds in it. Yeah. 
And this leads to something that I really found actually in Isaiah 55, verse 11 and 12 most clearly explained. But the, the kind of the way I phrase it is the actualization for the potential of life embedded in the creation by God when the creation brings it forth with the seeds of future life in it. So something that is tov or good is something that was put into the creation by God, whether we're talking about the earth or in any part of the creation, including human beings, there are seeds that God has placed in us. When we bring forth those seeds and those seeds come to life with seeds, that is good. And suddenly you start to see all these ideas running through the text, like you judge a tree, well, not by how big it is or how tall it is, no, but right. by its fruit. Mm. And of course, why the fruit? Because the seeds are in it. And, and suddenly all sorts of things start to... One of the really fun things about this word is that even though in English it is not a verb, tov in Hebrew can become a verb. So in Genesis chapter 4, when God is talking to Cain about where Cain is sort of trapped in his anger and his sadness and his hurt, God says, if you will do tov, uplift. Mm. This is in Genesis 4, like verse 7. But there, the word tov is a verb. So if you will do the actualization for the potential of life embedded in the creation by God, when the creation brings it forth with the seeds of future life in it, you will experience uplift, meaning you will no longer be angry, you will no longer feel rejected, and you will actually kind of notice that God is talking to you, which is the exact thing that you wanted all along. You wanted God's attention, and here you have God's attention, but you're so angry you don't notice that you're getting the exact thing you wanted. And then there's all these beautiful dimensions of it, like in Isaiah 55, verse 2, where the, the text in Hebrew says, it actually says, eat tov. So then you're thinking about well, what does it mean in real life to eat that which is tov? And I mean, obviously, we'll be thinking a lot about a whole bunch of things like that this morning, but just to kind of open the... Okay, thank you. Yeah. So if we were to dial back into early Genesis, when the seeds are in the ground, that's just, it was so. Right. So God placed the seeds in the ground, and there they are, laying in the ground. It's not tov yet. Right. It's not tov until those seeds sprout through the sun, through the elements, through what is the pressure of the ground. Here it comes out, produces fruit, and then lets go of everything that it is. And then those seeds fall back into the ground and then do the same process. Then it's no longer it was so, right. then it is tov. And a, 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 just a fun little puzzle piece in that is that the seeds in the ground are in darkness. Yeah. And oftentimes in religious life, we treat all darkness as if it's evil. But a careful reading of Genesis chapter 1, darkness is not described as evil. Darkness is actually where um, the potential for life is, is embedded. <clears throat> Isaiah 45 verse 3, there are treasures hidden in darkness, and the word for darkness in Isaiah 45 verse 3 is the exact word as darkness in day one of creation. So darkness, and I think that that roots hard into my own experience of, of life to the extent that I think my darkness is evil. I'm confused as all get out. There's mm -hmm. no way out of that. If whatever is dark or confusing is evil, um, which then 
can we touch quickly on what is evil? Because now that we have Tov, evil becomes a little bit more definable. So the first usage of the word Ra, which is the word that we translate as evil, is in the tree of knowledge of Tov, good, the Ra, evil. So I think you're spot on. It's seeing evil in its relationship to Tov. So anything that would inhibit what God has placed in us from coming forth is evil. Now, I think there's the kind of what I would call easy, straightforward evil. If I, heaven forbid, would murder somebody, well, that's clearly evil. Um, but there's a lot more subtle forms of evil. Um, uh, permission to pick on you? Sure. So, oh, Charlie. Yeah, let's pick get on ready, Charlie. Charlie. So pick if on. I was your dad and I said, to, and let's say you were, for example, um, a creative musical genius, but I keep saying Charlie, you know, when you're a kid. It's almost spot on. <laughs> uh, as a kid, I keep saying, Charlie, be a responsible person. Learn to get a good job. Forget about all your dreams. Just go, you know, get married, have kids, have a nice life. You'll thank me for this later. And that's how I raise you. If there is something that God has put in you that I am inhibiting, even though I think I might be behaving responsibly and I actually might genuinely believe that I love you. And I'm not saying I don't love you. I'm saying something more complicated, that it's not, it's not all about my feelings for you. It's about seeing what God has placed in you and not inhibiting that. You bring up the, the parental metaphor and I, I just fall apart inside because I think, mm -hmm. I mean, how scary is it even to raise kids or to even be friends with people when it's so hard to tell how much of, of how you love someone is about just the person being the person versus what they do for me. And, and, and so you're pointing at a very great um, moment in friendship or in any sort of relationship, uh, parental or otherwise, where why are we saying what we're saying? Is it to keep holding on to the person as they are? Is it, Charlie, you look like a thought. <laughs> Uh, it's just a brief exercise for us, for anyone out there in the vast we need podcast an universe. Yeah. Yes. Think about where you are right now. Maybe that's a physical space. Maybe that's a moment in time. It's probably both in all actuality. But um, when I say think about where you are, to me that conjures up this table right here, right now, with these fine people around it. Maybe for you that's a job that you've always wanted or a job that you don't have. Uh, maybe it's uh, a loneliness. Maybe it's uh, an abundance. But think about where you are right now. And think about how you got there and not the foot you put in front of the other foot, in front of the other foot, in front of the other foot, but the people that held your hand on your way. And the reality for me is that I can't not see the definition of Tov all over that exercise, a lineage to now, which sounds like a dense theology book. <laughs> a, a lineage to now, or, or a, nah, let's rewind. It sounds like a cheesy self-help book, uh, patent pending. I may use that. Uh, Just it, saying. It, <laughs> when I do that exercise, it is impossible for me, regardless of my circumstances, to not feel a deep sense of gratitude for those who have known me well and loved me through it. 
Um, I think you've just named something extraordinarily important, especially in 21st century Western civilization. We tend to think of things as moving forward from us. So when we talk about Tov, we're thinking about the seeds in me coming forth. But if we are alive just with seeds, and we haven't even done anything yet, we're actually the fulfillment of the previous generation's Tov. So our state of potential is their state of fulfillment. So seeing the river flowing through us rather than just the river starting from us is, um, that's just beautiful what you're saying. Will you, will you say that again? Our state of potential is their fulfillment. Meaning all I got to do is be a living being with potential. And that is their fulfillment, meaning that's their tove. And, you know, it, it's... I mean, we could think about this in so many different ways, but both my parents of blessed memory um, were teachers. And my sister is a college professor, and I'm a teacher. And it's like, well, and it didn't start with my parents, you know. It, it goes back and back and back. So just to see that river flowing through us, it gives us, um, I think it takes us out of um, a sense that it's, we're in isolation or a sense... Just our very being is what God loves. I just want to note that in, in my work, there's a peace that comes um, when we, we settle into this idea of we are in the middle. And if I'm not the beginning and if I'm not the end, if I can understand the middleness of my story, there's a deep peace that comes that uh, in my work as, as friend and pastor, I think that's missing in a lot of what we do. Well, and that's the gift of humility, right? If I'm not the beginning and I'm not the end, that means I have to be humble because I'm not a big enough deal despite how bad I want to be. Despite how good that beard looks, by the way. <laughs> whoa, whoa, easy. Well, um, going back to that, in 1 Kings 3, Solomon, who is about to become king, whose name actually has the root shalom, which means wholeness, describes himself over and over again as a servant. And the servant shepherd is one of the key, I would say, meta themes running through scripture. And the greater the position of authority, actually the deeper the position of servanthood. But holding those at the same time, I think the idea of what we're talking about of being in the middle allows one to hold those well. Wish we could all be like Shlomo. I just love the name Shlomo. So I, had, <laughs> I had to say it. Solomon is Shlomo. Yeah. I think about the talk we had on Two Kings Five, which was the servant girl and serving Naaman. Oh, two Kings four. Yeah, I was close, close enough to count, but yeah. not in this game. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the, the ripple effect kind of component of what it looks like for someone in an act of service and humility to withhold or to sacrifice their own ego and to lift someone else up and for their greater good, their tov. And then those little ripple effects almost have that same tov quality. My friend Mike uh, described from our study that day that uh, if it were a pebble dropping into a still lake, those ripple effects might never reach the lake before the pebble stops on the floor of the 
bed of the ocean or lake and that it joins its pebble friends, uh, one in many, and you might never notice its own pebbleness, but those ripple effects are still creating good. And, and to continue our definition of Tove from that, one other thing we discovered in that study was we were, though, though sometimes we feel like we're the pebble that caused the ripples, we're simply riding one of the ripples that already existed. Mm. And that speaks to that middleness that the seed was dropped ages ago. And I'm the fruit of the fruit of the fruit of the fruit of that original seed. And then it begs the question, what was the first pebble? What was the original pebble? Oh. <laughs> Which is maybe another conversation for another time, but it speaks to, I think, the, well, Chuck C. would say the gift of God was made at the foundation of the earth. And I, I would tend to agree with that. And I think that that's probably the original pebble, but... I think my wife, being who she is, was like, Big Bang. I think we're saying, I think you and I are saying Both. the same thing. Yes. But she might yeah. beg to differ. Well, I want to say, as we will read scripture, how, that is how we'll read our life, or as we will read our life, that's how we read scripture. So if we're seeing that it's all about <clears throat> Naaman and the prophet, and that that's who the main characters are in the passage, rather than seeing that it actually starts with this Naara Katana, this um, young girl who, even though she's been captured and taken from her people, still um, desires to see the healing of her, of the person who she is living with, even though she's in a foreign country, and acts that way. And that's what sends forth the whole passage. But it's so easy to lose that and get caught in the, the, the larger figures in terms of our mind's eye and how we then will read our own lives if that's how we're reading the text. So perhaps one of the things that would be really fun to think about is who dropped an important pebble in our life. So I have an interesting story uh, about that, that I think uh, for me, it helps me understand. Um, when my mother and I, my life started with my mother and I, it was us against the world. I never met my biological father. And as I grew up, she married uh, Roy and he adopted me and he was a pastor and um, we had a good family and there was this thing in me that was mu musical, but I didn't see it reflected in my mom and I didn't see it reflected in my adopted dad, didn't see it reflected in my brothers. So it's this unique thing. And of course, being the egotistical, uh, prideful person that I was, I thought, man, it must be because I'm amazing. God decided <laughs> to bestow these wonderful musical gifts on me above my brothers, right? And it wasn't until maybe five years ago, six years ago, that I learned that a half-brother that I'd never met was going to be in town rehearsing a big uh, drum corps. And his job was to run 80 horns. And they were just the best of the best, this performance group. And so I took my family to go watch my half-brother, John, who I'd never met before. He didn't know I existed. I watched him run a rehearsal. And it wasn't until that moment 
that I realized, oh my goodness, whatever I am musically has come from someplace far back in my own lineage. Because as I watched him run the rehearsal, he would say things that I would say. He was noticing things that I would notice. And he was correcting issues in a similar spirit and tone that I like to correct issues. And there was this cataclysmic, white-hot awareness of, oh my goodness. And so Tov is at work even when we don't know. Tov is like a cosmotic rule that this is how things run. Cosmotic. You heard it here. I think that's so, first invented. Yeah. <clears throat> just, just, a, just another quick story about another dimension of Tov. When I first started teaching, I had this experience the first couple of years of it would go really well, and then it would kind of fall off a cliff. Mm. And so classes would grow, people would be coming, and then they would peter out and the classes would kind of come to an end. And, and I could never figure out why. And so somebody wandered into a room about three years into the time of the early years of my teaching. And this person would at most say two sentences in an hour and a half. And yet, every time this person spoke, I would see people sort of perk up. Mm. And I started to watch this person in the room because, because what they were saying was exactly what some of the room needed to hear. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me what was going on. And so finally I went to her and said, what's going on? And she said, it's the thing that's standing in your way. You don't know when you're losing them. And I thought, oh, of course. Because I grew up in a school system back in the 50s and 60s where it didn't matter if you were losing the students. Um, the teachers taught, and I mean, they cared, but they cared about the material, and it was your responsibility too. So how do you know when you're actually losing somebody, when people will look you straight in the eye as you're teaching for an hour and a half and nod every time you look at them? <laughs> you know, so Much it's, the way I am in class with you. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> so, it's, it's, and so it's a really problem, because you... you because people would drift away because I didn't know when I was losing them. Yeah. And so what she said to me was, every once in a while, just look over at me. And I'll, with my eyes, look at, over the, look at the person you're losing. And I began to be able to recognize when I'm losing somebody. And that was one of the key moments in my teaching to just learn how to recognize when I'm losing somebody. Okay, so <clears throat> I love that story and I've never heard it before. Uh, and I've been studying with you for a while. And but there's a certain way that we look at our mentors or, or the people in our lives that we look up to and we just assume that they were born that way. You do that too? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just like, wow. How are they doing that? How is Alan always making eye contact with me? With everyone, all at the same time. All at time. the same time. How does he have that many eyes? That really speaks to the fear of, like, I could never do that, or exactly. I'm never that good exactly. enough. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough tove in me uh, to do that. And here stands the truth right in front of me, Alan, saying, oh, I, I kept losing him. I didn't know what to do. And then this nice lady was like, I'll, I'll teach you. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and um, well, one more story along that line. But you, so this was oh, 22 years ago now. Um, somebody was studying with me was a judge in the state of Connecticut, and so he invited a group of judges, including like state supreme court judges, federal district court judges. And I was in my early 40s. Most of the people were in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. And it was a two-hour study session. And some of them were people of faith. A lot of them weren't. But it, that wasn't the issue. Um, the issue was that they were close questioning everything, mm. just everything. And after about an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes in, I was starting to get tired. Not that they were being unkind or anything. It was just like, oof. And, and it hit me about just before the study session ended, they were just getting warmed up. Mm. And these were people, some of them were in their 60s and 70s, and I'm going, what is going on here? That mm. They're just getting warmed up, and I'm already tired. And so um, afterwards, I was talking to them, and they said, well, first of all, in all fairness, you know, uh, not all lawyers are going to become judges, and there's a certain kind of evaluation process you go through. But in the early days, they try to give you like a day-long case or a two-day-long case so that you develop the discipline of, um, so that you don't get like a three-month-long case when you first start. That's something you'll get a little bit later, if at all possible. Um, So that, because in a three-month-long case, there might be something that happened on, you know, day two at two in the afternoon. And if you can't recall it, you might do something that wouldn't be as fully justice as if you can. And so I thought, oh, okay, so it's discipline. It's really a muscle. Mm -hmm. And learning how to stay focused for extensions of time, not just for an hour and a half, but for a day, for two days. And at first, really, um, to stay focused for... And a day felt like a mountain, you know. But so, yeah, it's just all the stuff you learn along the way. Which I'll say, for those listening, if silence... So we're going to talk as these podcasts move on just about our own spiritual practices. And I'll say in my own spiritual practice, silence has been a muscle that is most clearly able to see how this grows. And so as, as you are in your own meditation practices, if five minutes of silence just sounds like death to you, Start with two minutes, start, but then just start to expand that until uh, we can go weeks in silence. That would be my preference sometimes, no? Well, one of the other things, and this is not, it's not, it's not exactly not silence. One of my very favorite teachers said, there's a way of teaching where you're actually listening. Mm. And I thought, and then we had a lot of conversations, what does it mean to teach but actually be listening before you're teaching? And that it's that breath in before creation. Exactly. Yeah. So we have Tove. Tove is the actualization for the potential for life embedded in the creation by God when the creation brings it forth with the seeds of future life in it. And we've established that Tove is at work and at play at a foundational level in our universe. That this is this is a process that God put in play. Uh, Charlie, what did you call it? You called it... Oh, I don't know. Carla calls it the Big Bang. <laughs> yeah, she called it the Big Bang. I said uh, the gift of God was made at the foundation of creation. Yeah, and that's this idea of Tov. Tov will always 
be at play. It will always work. But then we have this idea, and this is where Moed comes in, and I'm asking because... Ma'od. Ma'od. Slight difference. Can I just do one quick thing before we go on? I wish you would. Um, (laughs) When we have that sense of dis-ease about something close to us, with me it's teaching, with you it's probably music, but everybody's got... When we have a sense of dis-ease about something close to us, that's because we know we're not fully bringing it forth. And that helps mm. us to cue into the dimension of Tove that's not bearing fruit yet. And I just wanted to get that. Bam. All right. That's huge. Yeah. So you're saying a disease around something that we would hope for or something that maybe we're part of but not fully. Well, in your case, I, I would sense that you know when the music isn't sounding as it could sound. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I can tell when people are not quite understanding it the way they could understand it, if there was something more that I could do, but to figure out what that more is. Or and maybe something not, less. And, and what you're saying is that we aren't projecting that onto it's somebody else's fault. Right. It's more there's to- our own tove we haven't stepped it's into. It's vibrating yet. in a way that kind of gets us. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I just, I don't disagree with that sentiment at all. Don't don't disagree, uh, but I also want to pull us out of a binary state of tov and not tov, because I did I walked that walk for a long time and was like, okay, if it's not tov, it's not good. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I don't think that that's true. And the evidence in scripture is day two of creation, which is the separating the waters from the waters, uh, and that is not called good. It is just called so. And there's a way in which something that isn't good in our lives can be preparing us for later good. Mm. Uh, And so I don't want anyone who's listening to this or even the people around this table to walk out of here thinking, it's not good, not doing it, it's not good, not doing it. Because there's a way, and there's evidence of this all over my own life when I think about all the things that I've done that aren't good, some of them downright bad, (laughs) that have prepared me for good to come and... Some of that I even got to use last night on the phone uh, with a with a guy that I mentor. Of like, Jesus, Ryan. Great song. Don't about it. Phone's off. Phone was off. <laughs> Just I wanted to stop you anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, I, you can use your own experience to help teach other people from that experience, and even as dark as it could possibly be. And so there's a way that day two teaches us that even if it's not Tove, it's still important. Well, I, I love what you're saying. And just to add a, a, a puzzle piece within the, the broader idea that you've already put out, there's a spectrum. So f- to me, who doesn't have Steve's ear for music, it could sound already exquisite. But Steve's hearing something that could be more is what I'm trying to get at. So yeah, you're absolutely right. So think of Tove as a spectrum. It's either not so much Tove, not Tove, but within Tove, given your gifting, it could be even more. Absolutely. Don't and, and the things in our life that, that, that don't seem Tove, maybe they are getting us to where we need to be. Which real quick, that's the trajectory. Like that's the idea that this is always a verb in play and that there is a direction mm. towards Tove that we are headed. And these not Toves or withholding of Toves are simply the correcting course. I look at it as the guidelines on the road or mm. the maybe even the barriers on the road, but usually they're just like the little kind of 
vibration markers yeah. that like, no, this is not quite right. Um, but you course correct. And so that's a whole nother conversation. Well, and to me, this also connects to sacred community mm -hmm. and the bringing forth of Tov, because I had gotten to the point where I was a teacher, but now that I was only teaching, there was something that was standing in the way. I knew that something was going wrong, but I couldn't figure out what it was. It was somebody who saw me and saw the problem that helped me get over the hurdle. So it's not all about only me figuring it all out all the time. It's about our sacred community gathering around us. Okay. <clears throat> this is a great... Don't say segue. Don't say segue. I'm not going to... This is a great story. <laughs> okay. It's totally going to say segue. We're going to say segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, this is great. So my first ever study with Alan, uh, he knew me through Stephen Ryan, who I'm very close with, and we're sitting in... It's pretty classic to be in your first study with Alan and have Tove come up. I feel like that's it's one of your greatest hits. Tove tree. The Tove tree. The Tove tree. The Tove tree would be on Alan's We were on a sailboat hits. one time and saw the Tove tree being done. Yeah, so there's a whole thing that, that you don't get visually. Alan, do the Tove. Do the Tove. <laughs> uh, where, where Alan stands up like a tree and pretends to have fruit drop from him. It's cute. It's a, it's a whole thing. Uh, it's a whole thing. And so at the study, people who are listening that know me and even those that don't will start to pick up this fact that like I'm real tactile. Uh, and so it's nice to have these conversations out in space and it's mind-blowing most of the time. And then I'm like, okay, what do I do with it? What do I go and do? And so near the end of the study, I turned to Alan and I said, Alan, how do I figure out what my tove is? Because I hear this tove, 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 tove. And I'm like, okay, uh, I should quit my job. I should, you know, do something totally radical. And it's yeah. not necessarily the message that my wife would hope that I get all the time. Uh, and so I asked Alan, what, how do I figure out what my tove is? And he said, why don't you go ask Cork and, and Haynes? Mm. And I believe you actually said Cork, too. Corky. Huh. Uh, which I love. Uh, and so I did, and, and my wife, and I asked all of them what my tove was, and I don't honestly remember what their answer was, but I, what I do remember is that the answer was pretty much exactly what I expected it would be. Uh, and so there's a way in which I was walking around not knowing, pretending to not know what my tove <sighs> is, because the truth of it is sometimes scary. And so what then does that mean for how we walk in the world with the idea of Tove in our mind, the idea of good, and what it means to do good? Well, that's Tove mode. Tove mode. All right, let's go there. Spaces. We have community spaces that are being created to craft this kind of energy that has the ability to bring forth other people's Tove. And if it wasn't doing that, we would not go there, but whether it be a retreat space or a garage space or a small group style space, steel on steel, like we talked about uh, many moons ago, I believe it was about three moons ago <laughs> that we actually recorded that one. But those are the kinds of spaces that create this environment and community that can bring forth others tove and that would be where we go towards Tove mode. 
Yeah, so in Genesis 1, 30, chapter 1, verse 31, God saw all that God had made and found it very good. And I think what you're saying really so is of the verse because it's about the relational dimension. The seeds can't come forth if there's no ground, mm -hmm. but they also can't come forth if there's no light and there's no water and we could just go on and on. It's that relational sense and it's God saw all that God had made and found it very good. And that's one of the very earliest usages of the word tov, of the words tov ma'od. So it's the communal conversation that we're having this morning and bouncing off of each other. And then suddenly, you know, something comes to each of us. And, and of course, it's our prayer that that will be the experience of those who listen, that they're joining a communal conversation. I think the way I can see that in my story is when I, when I saw in, in, in John, my half-brother that I still don't know, that doesn't know me, when I saw that there was what, what you call sacred community, or what we're saying is just there was the ground and there was the water. There's this submission, even if it's not what we would want, there's a submission to what is and letting that seed sprout from there. And that's, we're saying that's the mode part where you engage in what is, is that? Not biblically Hebrewized, but that's well, the communal Well, mode means very, but it means more than very. It's some relational mm. dimension that allows the fullness of the interrelational dimension to come forth. It's, it's, it's to say that it's about me teaching, mm. to say that it's about people learning, better, but even that's not quite it. It's, it's something we were talking about just before we, we started to broadcast, which is what is the fruit that comes forth? How does this feed the community? And how does this bring forth the sacred future? Then we're talking Tov Ma'od. There's scatter plots. Mm -hmm. I'm familiar. S statistics. <laughs> There's a, a graph called a scatter plot, and it's just a, a lot of data points get added to a graph. Uh, and for me, when we think about, I can go to a place like Cathedral Outlook on the North Shore and sing the doxology with a group of men and think, man, this is a pretty cool moment. And that's a point on the scatter plot. And then I can go hiking on the Superior Hiking Trail with my two best friends in the world mm -hmm. uh, and sleep for maybe an hour a night because it's 16 degrees and I'm in a hammock. Yes. Bad call. Very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, and that can be a data point. And there's a way in which uh, I choose to actively ignore those data points and the trajectory that they build. Because when enough of them cluster, it points to a trajectory, and a trajectory is leading towards something. And I think there's a way that I will ignore the activity of my senses, the input of my friends, and choose to go to sleep behind the wheel. And forgive me, if one did that for too long, that could be inhibiting the toe from coming forth. Absolutely. So that would be a real-life example from our own lives of, fascinatingly enough, not others inhibiting our toe from coming forth, but we inhibiting ourselves from coming forth. Yeah. 
And that would just happen by doubt. Right. Doubt. Oh, doubt. these guys don't actually like me as much as it mm-hmm. seems like they do. Oh, this... he must be better friends with him than he is with me. Oh, that's never okay. been you guys a have play to here. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, let's make him a favorite. Can we talk about the doubt that you guys have? <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with the doubt. The doubt would give you the chance, Apparently or all not. of us the chance, to galvanize our faith and our belief mm-hmm. in what the moment was, except that so often my doubt tends to go then towards the evil which is to what you said, Charlie, to ignore the data points, mm-hmm. yeah. to take those off the map. And then all of a sudden I'm back to square one as if first day. Well, you know, and of course this is also text. I mean, Genesis chapter three, verse one, first words out of the serpent's mouth, did God really say? Um, in Exodus chapter, and then Eve is in conversation with the serpent and brings the doubts that the serpent embeds in her to the serpent. And that, of course, leads to all kinds of um, problems. But in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, they won't believe me, they won't listen to me, they won't believe God sent, sent me. The difference in that passage, I want to suggest, is simply that Moses brings his doubts to God. And to me, that's one of the great challenges in all our lives, to see to whom I'm bringing my doubts. Mm. And I can bring my doubts to people or to the serpent, and then the doubts will grow. But if I bring my doubts to God or another set of people, I want to say that my doubts can be addressed and calmed. So the question is not whether we'll have doubts all through Scripture. I mean, doubting Thomas. You know, so all through scripture, there's people who are going to have doubts. That's not the question. The question is to whom we bring our doubts. And will we bring our doubts to people who will inhibit our toe from coming forth or to those who will enable our toe to come forth? I feel like there's a component of that doubt that also is that darkness, though, that can, whether, whether how you choose to deal with that darkness, like where you go with it, it can bring forth good. Because it makes the wrestling of that faith component more whole, more strong, if you have both elements to it. So if you are wrestling in that doubt, you are hitting the components that are necessary to make it more complete. And I would say that tends to lean into this idea that nothing gets wasted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, in, in how all of this works together is that nothing gets wasted. Right. Until something is evil, it gets to count for Tov. Right. Um, we are creators, and that's what we get to use it for. Right. And just, just because this is, I just, this happened yesterday, and it's, I, my wife got uh, the Tao Te Ching, which is a famous I Buddhist book, yeah. and I read the first page, and it closes with something, and I'm going to paraphrase poorly, but it closes with something like, uh, in darkness, all is created. Hmm. Uh, and so I just I love when stuff like that comes out because it makes me realize how much bigger this thing is than we think it is. Like three Christ- four Christians are sitting at a table with a rabbi right now, and that's still way too small for how big this is. Yeah. Yeah. Way Which is small. a process, though, of unfolding as people start to unpack, as I start to unpack my process of this like and open my eyes to bigger and broader viewpoints like certain things fit 
and certain things are going to be a longer trajectory till they fit. And the faster I work with relationships and like get to know someone else outside of my context, say the last time I was in Jerusalem, spending time with Na'el and having time with him at lunch and talking about prayer and knowing that you, that the way he held prayer was something I could learn from. And that relationship created a different depth of meaning to me for prayer. And it continues to grow fruit today. Because I've talked about that experience with a handful of people. And that, as a practicing Muslim, it was something that other people have found uh, incongruent with their faith. And what I was able to find in my relationship with him was the congruency, was the ways that I looked for the similarities and not the differences. And we created a relationship around that. So I'm reading this book, and I'm a little behind schedule. <laughs> but uh, it's called An Altar in the World by Barbara uh, something. I can't remember her last name. Are you finding it? Yeah. It's on your shelf. I the gospel over there. Uh, anyways, it's called An Altar in the World, and it's amazing. But the author was talking about this moment. She was walking to the garbage to throw something away, and she looked to the garden to her left, and it was beautiful and golden, and the sun was hitting it just right, and everything was golden and fantastic. And she thought, man, I'm going to go over there just as soon as I throw this garbage away. And she threw the garbage away and turned around, and the light had shifted, and everything was different. Uh, and for me, Tova is like that. Is, uh, these data points lead me to moments in time where I can say yes, where I can drop what I'm doing and say yes, and walk into the garden bathed in gold and experience it. Uh, and the sharper I tune my senses to what Tove is, the more I can see it in the world and say yes to it. The more I can say yes to showing up at Ryan's to record a podcast before the sun has set, risen um, mm -hmm. and things like that. And so I guess what I would leave our, our listeners with is what is your Tove? How is Tove working in your life? And what's next? And who in your life do you need to bring forth that tov? Or what are those relationships that you need? Because as you pointed out earlier, you didn't do that alone. You didn't find your tov alone. It is meant to be done in community. If, it, if you can do it without community, great. But if there's a, a way that we as a community of our friends have brought forth each other's tov, I would love to share how we found it with each other in the hopes that someone else could discover their Tove. Such great eye contact there. Mm. Yeah, there's good eye contact going on at the table. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I think for me, um, I wouldn't, I would encourage myself and all of us to remember that this is at play, whether we're awake to it mm. or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a really cool invitation from the universe to play, to play inside this truth. And, and what, what gets me out of that is fear. And so mm -hmm. I'll just speak to the fear. What, what good has fear actually ever done you when it comes to engaging in Tov and engaging in um, taking a new step in a new direction? 
And uh, sometimes fear can be helpful, but I think sacred community that points us to our tov is more helpful. And so to the voices in your life that are calling you by your real name, who are saying mm-hmm. who you really are, I'd encourage you to turn that volume up and mm-hmm. turn the fear down and see what happens. Yeah. That's tov mode right there. Tov mode. Yeah. Could you say that thing about scarcity and fear you mm. said yesterday? Yeah, well, in a discussion around the idea of abundance versus scarcity, which is another biblical thread that weaves its way through the text, there is a way of looking at it that if I am scared of my scarcity or scared of being in a mode of scarcity, then it will prevent me from grasping and grabbing onto and living into abundance. And so that fear component of being in a mode of scarcity prohibits my way to live into that abundance. And sacred abundance is the one of the f- fruits of Tov. Um, so if we think of the 23rd Psalm, um, my cup runneth over. Mm. Ah, well, my cup is truly runneth over because I'm living in sacred abundance yes. because I'm following the trajectory uh, that as Charlie was talking about. So, so there's a deep connection between that and sacred abundance and Tove fused together brings us to the capacity to live in the house of the Lord for lengthened days. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So it's beautiful. Yeah. Ryan, thanks for being here this morning. Oh man. I you know, I woke up here. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for coming here too. Thanks, sure. Alan. Alan. Oh, thank you all. It's like Alan, thanks for being here. It's... Yeah, I woke up here too. So <laughs> does it count? Hey Steve, thanks for being here this morning. Charles Thanks. Hold on. Thanks. Drew. Drew. Thanks for being here, Drew. Drew. Thank you for being a You guys, friend. you can't tell uh, on the podcast, but Drew just keeps working out, and he just keeps getting beautiful. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> stunning. <laughs> it's really stunning. Bounce your eyes, right? Bounce it. Yeah, bounce your eyes. Come yeah, on. Yeah, let's, let's close it out with a little Tove mode. Let's wait for it. Let it build. Mood. We'll work on harmonizing with our musical friend at some point. I can't. I can't. I can't. Thank you, everybody. Too much of a snap. Cut it out on that. Thank you.